Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. <sighs> we did it! I still can't believe we got this project done so fast and so well. When I'm in New York. I'm in Chicago. And I'm in L.A. But we're making it happen in Miro. Together. Our best work just happens faster on Miro's collaborative online whiteboard. No more scheduling meeting after meeting for work that could happen from anywhere. Whether it's getting design feedback here. Mapping timelines here or brainstorming next steps here. It all just happens on the Miro board. Exactly. And it's nice not having to wait an entire day to get sign-off from this guy. Hey! Well, it is true. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com. The first three boards are free forever. That's M-I-R-O.com. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Welcome, everybody, to this day after Christmas for a special spoiler review episode of Wonder Woman 1984 on The Geek Buddies. Hey! Hey! Well, we appreciate you downloading the episode off the uh, podcast feed. Listen to our thoughts about Wonder Woman 1984. Right off the bat, just want to say, as you can tell, it's three dudes. It's a sausage fest a little bit. I tried to get some of the, I tried to get a couple of female critics to come on, but unfortunately, the day after Christmas, very difficult to schedule that. We didn't plan ahead a little bit, and uh, maybe that's on me. So I'll think, I'll think about that going forward in the future. You can blame me for this, absolutely. But I am one of your hosts here. I am the outlaw, John Roca. I am Michael Vogel, and this is Shannon McClung. And one last thing, we did try to get Mike Kalinowski on this review as well, but unfortunately, he was uh, uh, he had other things scheduled for the day and couldn't join us. But we'll Mikey do our Christmas. best. Mikey, Mikey Christmas. Christmas. I mean, he's not Mikey called Christmas. Mikey Christmas because it ends it ends on Christmas. He's called Mikey. <laughs> he's a busy Christmas. man. 
He's busy busiest man. time of year for this guy. Yeah. I mean, after Santa delivers all the toys, who do you think's picking up all the wrapping? That's Mikey Christmas the next day. All right. Let's get into this thing. All right. This cup, this is uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Of course, the first Wonder Woman coming out in 2017 just really shocked a lot of people with how good it was, how it reintroduced us to the character of Wonder Woman. And really, we've been waiting, what, 70 years for a feature film adaptation or over 70 years for a feature film adaptation fully of wonder woman and it came to us and we were all incredibly excited by it loved it it's, it holds up to multiple rewatches great scenes and the two people most responsible for this aside from the studio coming back to do the sequel uh patty jenkins as the director and gal gadot as the director of the, i'm sorry patty jenkins as the director gal gadot as the star of wonder woman uh diana prince and what have you the uh, amazonian princess of Themyscira. So we're going to get into what we liked, what we didn't like about it, and just kind of assess our feelings as we go along. But before we even start, one more time, this is a spoiler review. So if you haven't seen the movie, go to HBO Max, watch it, come on back and uh, give us your thoughts afterwards in the comment section of what the things we had to say. Yeah, you've okay. got 30 more days to watch it on HBO Max. It is only going to be up for 31 days on HBO Max. Yeah, good point. Or in the theaters, if you happen to be in one of those places with 30% that have the theaters open here in the States or in or around the world that you can watch it in. But I'd, uh, I'd suggest you watch it on HBO Max if you can. A real quick synopsis. Diana Prince lives quietly among mortals in the vibrant, sleek 1980s, an air of excess driven by the pursuit of having it all. Though she's coming to her full powers, she maintains a low profile by curating ancient artifacts and only performing heroic acts incognito. But soon, Diana will have to muster all of her strength, wisdom, and courage as she finds herself squaring off against Maxwell Lord, played by Pedro Pascal, and the Cheetah, of course, played by Kristen Wiig, a villainess who possesses superhuman strength and agility. All right, Mike Vogel, please give me your overall thoughts of this movie, your reaction, now having seen it last night with friends. Uh, my overall thoughts of this movie uh, are that... Um... Making a sequel to a movie as popular and well-received as the first Wonder Woman is very hard, very challenging. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure on everybody. Mm. And I feel that ultimately, um, despite the best of intentions, I think that they did not hit the mark on this second movie. I, okay. I think I found it to be uh, disappointing as someone who thinks that the first Wonder Woman is by far the best of all of the DC Universe movies. Wow. Uh, I found this one to be uh, disappointing. I think there was there was stuff to like in it. Uh, there was some stuff that I enjoyed, but for the most part, uh, I, I kind of left uh, a little bit bummed and a little bit frustrated. Okay. Uh, you know, this comes to us as a screenplay by Patty Jenkins, Jeff Johns, and Dave Callahan, based on characters by William Moulton, Marston Shannon. What's your overall feeling now? Have you had a little bit of time since you watched it to think about it? What's your feeling about Wonder Woman 1984. Well, going into this, um, a lot of the early reviews had talked about just how uplifting it was, how positive it was, mm -hmm. and how very much it leaned into the 80s-ness. Like, this is made like an 80s movie. So I definitely had those glasses on ahead of time. And at the beginning, there were definitely some things that I'm like, huh, I don't agree with this choice, but if you're really leaning into the 80s-ness, I, mean, I, guess, I guess you can justify it. Mm -hmm. um, the longer it went on, I, I definitely really enjoyed all the performances. I figured the, the material that the actors were given, I thought they all did a really, really good job. Okay. Um, that being said, I, I do agree with Mike. Like Wonder Woman, the first the first film was so good. Mm -hmm. um, really, really, uh, really, really enjoyed it. And it was going to be a tough act to follow. And this one yeah. just didn't quite didn't quite stick the landing for me. Now I'm reading on Twitter. Some people love this movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if it is. Uh, 
scratching your particular itch, fantastic. God love you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it did not scratch mine, unfortunately. Yeah, I, uh, you know, sadly, I have to agree with the both of you. I felt this to be a bit of a messy approach to a sequel. It was a bit all over the place. I got what the message was supposed to be, but at times it got a bit preachy. It went a little too overboard into t- showing you what needs to, what they're trying to say. Uh, I saw a lot of reviews were like, oh, this, this is a great message for today. This is a great message for our times. And I totally understand that, absolutely. But I didn't know how quite to take this film because the first film was so good, so mature, so solid, so grounded, had such a great foundation, really understood the stakes of World War One, and wanted to show that through the characters and what they were going through. And in this film, it felt a little bit, and this is where I think I, I have to be a little bit fair when I'm looking at this movie, it felt a little bit like Spectre. And by that I mean Spectre was very much an old school, James Bond and the audience has kind of moved on from that approach to James Bond so they didn't quite know how to take Spectre some people didn't like it for for their own reasons I liked it understood what they were going for and some people were in the, on the fence about it in this film I think is kind of in between there for me on the fence I liked a lot of what Gal Gadot did I think I think Kristen Wiig once she got past the target lady type approach to things I think she really settled into the character uh, of Minerva and really kind of brought to life this as she progressed through her journey. I thought Kristen Wiig really started to own the movie. Pedro Pascal at times veered between really overboard and hammy to some to, to, to living a really rich inner life of pain and torture and trying to prove himself, uh, which we of course find out later in the movie. But overall, I thought the film was trying to do too much without enough foundation with the characters, giving us enough connection connection with the characters that we start to lose the plot uh and by the end you're just kind of going okay this was i'm glad i watched it but i'm not 100 percent happy and i'm not gonna and i'm not gonna be going back to watch this one over and over again um uh, let's start from the beginning here we won't go through every beat of the movie but let's start what did you guys think of the beginning because i thought the beginning was stellar what a great way to go back in time to show diana lay the groundwork for this idea of like no hero is born from lies we get the return of connie nielsen the return of robin wright uh there and it's so well done it's so vibrant and also could possibly be a backdoor pilot for that show that Patty Jenkins has been talking about, the Themyscarans, that might be coming down the road. Uh, Mike, go to you. What did you think of this opening? What uh, Did it get you like right in the mood and you were ready to go? Yeah, I loved it. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, I thought it was great. I love seeing Themyscarans being awesome. Uh, I had just rewatched the first Wonder Woman to sort of get ready for Wonder Woman 84. And the, all the th- scenes on Themyscira are great. Like watching mm. awesome, powerful women be awesomely badass was great. And yeah. kind of doubling down on that and seeing them go through this elaborate competition. Like it was like it was like superhero Cirque du Soleil. Uh, mm. The Hans Zimmer score was awesome. Yeah. It's like one of my favorite tracks on the whole movie. Uh, so, yeah, I thought the whole thing was great. Like from the beginning, if if... My 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 expectations of the movie were high going in, and that whole opening scene on Themyscira, I was like, okay, here we go. I'm in. We are doing this. Yeah. Yeah, Shannon, we got the voiceover again, like we did in the first movie of Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman, like talking about uh, her experience as a young child and all of what she went through, and then we see go, uh, the, uh, the, the, the obstacle course she essentially has to run here, which is incredible. What was your feeling coming out of that opening sequence? It was great. It was great. I mean, again, uh, uh, because of, you know, recent events that have happened in my life, 
wife Diana's um, voiceover really got to me emotionally right at the beginning, just saying uh, how sometimes the her childhood seems so far away. Other times it seems like it's right in front of her and how she wished she would have paid attention more. And that's something that definitely that definitely struck me personally. And the sequence itself, I thought was great. I, I was like, this is this is a great dynamic sequence um, to to open up this this next chapter of, of Diana's story. And even, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Robin Wright's character tells you right at the beginning, this is what this movie is about. No hero is born from lies. You can't, you can't take shortcuts. Shortcuts don't work. Yeah. Which, of course, is interesting to think about when <laughs> so many people we know in power have taken shortcuts to get there for sure. Uh, let's keep going with the movie, Mike. We jump eventually to 1984. Uh, and, and we get a real kind of, um, how can I say this? We get really deep into the 1980s. We get the, we get the neon colors. We get all the standard stuff. Uh, and this is where I think the films, I started to have a little bit of issues with the film because it felt to me like the film was cosplaying as the 80s rather than actually living in the 80s. And I felt like Stranger Things did a way better job of evoking the 80s than I felt this movie did. Yeah. What did you feel about that? We've all three of us have lived through the '80s. So, what, what did you think about this? I I read an interview with Patty Jenkins where she talked about, uh, you know, she was she lived in Washington during the '80s. Yeah. So for her, this was very personal, and she was very specific with the stores that she used, the references mm. she made. So I know that this was like a passion and a labor of love for her to sort of give this moment to the '80s. But I got to say, I agree with you. I do feel like. A lot of things in recent memory, Stranger Things being the most, you kind of come away going, they really captured the 80s. And this had your production design team and your costume designers did a great job. But beyond that, it didn't really, the 80s didn't, I know what they were going for in the 80s being a generation of selfishness, a generation yeah. of everybody looking out for themselves, trying to get ahead, like all of sort of the... The, the vibes that we all look back on the 80s as a very sort of consumerist uh, decade. So I know what why they placed this movie there, given the themes of the movie, and I understand what they're going for, but I just feel like they missed the mark. Yeah. my uh, Shannon, what did you think? Did they evoke the 80s effectively enough for you? No. No, okay. de no, definitely not. I mean, I think right when we kind of flash forward to 1984, that is kind of when this a silliness started to take over. And that's, that's where I tried to give it some latitude. And I'm kind of like, okay, this, this is, this is what they're embracing right now. But even looking at the, the robbers that we meet in, yeah. in the opening sequence, I'm like, yeah. these guys are, this is almost a Joel Schumacher movie right now. Mm. This is, this is, this is hearkening back to like Batman forever and Batman yeah. Robin. And the sequence where Diana is kind of flipping all around and stopping these guys there was a portion of that sequence that was shown at Comic-Con two years ago, which I know mm -hmm. we've talked about a lot. Yeah. And watching that sequence, even then, I want to see Kalinowski was next to me. And I was like, huh, something, something seems off. And we certainly gave it, again, the latitude to be like, well, we're, we're watching something out of context. Right, right. Yeah, and and uh, it, it, it looks like we were actually right. Yeah, Mike, the mall, I, all the mall stuff, talk to me, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Uh, Joel Schumacher's Batman movies um, more than once entered my mind during this screening last night. Mm -hmm. But this also, I kind of took my, as I was thinking about talking about it today, I kind of took yep. my things about Wonder Woman and I put them into three buckets. And one of the other things, in addition to sort of the cheesiness that pops up right away in this movie that I think is a big issue um, is the uh, timeline issue of where it takes place given right. what we know about Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, 
we know because of Batman versus Superman and then leading into that Justice League that beyond beyond World War One, Diana Prince, Wonder Woman, has kind of been living in secret. She has not been out in public. She's not a known superhero. In the world of DC, Superman is sort of the big hero that shows up. Mm-hmm. And then subsequently they're like, oh yeah, Batman was in Gotham also. But Wonder Woman was mostly hidden. Mm-hmm. So placing anything Wonder Woman related between her first movie and Batman versus Superman creates a bunch of issues that overcomplicate things. And so every time that she does anything in costume, starting with this scene in the 80s, we have to take a moment for her to take out the security cameras so that there's no footage of her, even though she is a Amazonian woman in red and blue armor with a glowing lasso flying around a mall. Like, I understand we this is pre-cell phones. I understand that not people are videotaping this, but like there's enough people seeing her multiple times in this movie that you start to kind of get into this issue of, so she's a superhero, but she's not because yeah. we can't let her be a superhero because we know this from Batman versus Superman. And this kind of was something that kind of came up in every major action sequence for me. Yeah. So I think that was in addition to the cheesiness that you guys are talking about, which I think was definitely like tonally, at this point in the movie, I was still willing to give that a go. I was like, all right, if this is the movie that we're making, let's see how you did with it. But on top of that, the whole every time that she's in costume, we have to take a beat to be like, hey, this is our secret. Hey, don't say anything. And it just like with all the other complicated plot points of this movie, it just started, it started to weigh down on me. And this was the beginning of that as well. See if I can jump in. Sure. That is where I tried to give it a break because Mm -hmm. I think we all know that DC, they've been building the track as the train has been moving. Mm -hmm. And there have been times where like, oh, we're, we're, we're scrubbing this. Now we're going in this direction. This is where, because I did have those same thoughts as well. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, well, okay. So people have seen her. And by the time we meet this very dour Diana and Batman versus Superman, like, okay, what else has happened? But that is where I did try to give it a break and be like, okay, you know, they, they understand that they, we understand that they wiped the board clean. So, but, but even giving it a break, then it still did not make up for what it did, what the movie lacked. Right. And, I and think, then, okay. no, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. So, so no, go ahead. I, I, no, this, to address both your points, uh, gentlemen, it isn't about being spoon fed either. We just need to know how you're connecting these a little bit. Knocking out the security cameras does nothing. Listen, we lived in the 80s. People talk. People talk. People say, oh, someone was at the mall. I heard someone, some famous celebrity. I remember when famous celebrities would come to the mall in Potomac Mills there in Virginia. People would talk about it when I was in high school about their experience of seeing a famous person at the mall, let alone a superhero, a legendary superhero with the glowing lasso. And yes, everything was bright in the 80s, but some things were a little brighter. And you'd notice that would be bright there in the middle of a mall. But I will give credit to Patty Jenkins. She did. I lived through the 80s at a time when I was aware of what was going around in D.C., in Northern Virginia. She absolutely nails that the store stuff, as you were mentioning, Mikey, Commander Salamander being in there. The logo for Fairfax County Police is the exact logo. That blue was the exact blue. I remember seeing those cop cars all the time driving around when I was going when I was there in Northern Virginia. So I think she nailed a lot of the look of D.C. and Northern Virginia at that time for sure. Uh, but yeah, uh, to me, it just seemed odd to start a sequence right at the beginning when you cl- when you know that it's been claimed that she's been hidden, and there's no mention of Superman, there's no mention of Batman, there's no mention of anything, and I just th- I thought it was really well, really strange. And no, they weren't Wonder Woman, no mention of anything. So, well, they yeah. weren't around in the '80s, were they? Superman and Batman? Like, didn't I, I, they show up? Uh, the timeline seems all all off. To, I don't know, brother. What do you and, tell me? Well, and look to Shannon to Shannon's point, just really quick, because I mean, I do agree with Shannon, and I knew going in that this was an, a thing that they were going to have to deal with because mm-hmm. we do know this about it. So it wasn't like this was my biggest issue with the movie that I was right, gonna, right. that I harped on throughout. Had everything else really been just firing on all cylinders, 
it would have been like, all right, they had to deal with this, but I think they sort of did as well as they could. Yeah. Uh, in addition to everything else that we'll get into as we talk about it further, it just became one more thing that I was like, man, you really made this hard for yourself. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like, and you know, the thing, this whole thing, this whole robbery is set up to introduce us to what is essentially the witch stone that eventually ends up in this uh, in this uh, uh, facility there where Diana works. And of course we get introduced to Barbara Minerva for the first time. And, you know, I tell you, the first introduction to her really just didn't work for me the whole idea of oh drop a suitcase drop my papers out of a suit like we've seen that before and i know it's set in the 80s so this is where i was having trouble with the movie because on my 2020 eyes looking at her treating this like a 1980s movie a little bit i just didn't think 100 worked for me and although i think Kristen wig was game at the beginning i saw her relying on stuff we've seen her when she's played characters like that on snl you know <laughs> those kinds of things initially just didn't work for me and it wasn't until later when she settles into her power as she grows in her power that i really saw Kristen wick's acting chops come out and i wish we'd seen a little bit more of that right off the bat what did you guys think about the initial introduction of barbara minerva all the way like conversation with diana all of that until she makes that wish with the stone Shannon? Yeah, Honestly, uh, it, it didn't bother me. Like, okay. I think, you know, when you're casting Kristen Wiig in sort of this, you know, slightly awkward, brainy, brainy gal role, this is what you're going to get. If, if that's not what Patty Jenkins wanted, then that would have been her job as a director to say, hey, let's let's pull this back. Yeah, I, I um, agree. I think I, there are some acting stuff that I think Patty made some decisions I, that were interesting to explore. But go ahead, Shannon. Sorry. Yeah, yeah I think I think Kristen Wiig did exactly what what was expected of her and what was wanted of her. And I think, as you had said, John, after she has her transformation after that first after her first wish, um, I've, I've always enjoyed Kristen Wiig's dramatic acting. I yeah. mean. I think there are times where she she maybe forces it a little bit, and I don't think this was one of those times. I thought she did. She she was a very compelling part of this movie that I thought had a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike, I really didn't like Barbara Minerva at all. I thought Kristen Wiig did a great job. <laughs> I I I actually agree with everything Shannon said. I think Kristen Wiig came and did exactly what was asked of her. Mm. I think she did a great job. I think at the beginning she did her Kristen Wiig thing, which is probably why they cast her. I think later on, as you guys are both saying, she settled into it. I believed her, whatever. So it, Kristen Wiig comes out of this great to me. Okay. Two things. One, I've already seen Selena Kyle in Batman Returns. I didn't need to see her exact story done yeah. again. Kind of I mean, except better done in Batman Returns. <laughs> I mean, I literally, the mousy, awkward person who kind of is tripping all over herself wearing the big glasses who then gets sexier steps into her role and literally becomes a feline supervillain. It's like it literally is the same story so That's that point, Mike. a really really irked me and b more so look there's been lots of versions of cheetah in the comics there's been lots of sort of takes yep. on barbara minerva in the comics the ones that i find the most appealing are where she's kind of a badass archaeologist like mm -hmm. i don't know that we in addition to doing selena kyle over again I don't know that I needed to see the I'm I'm so awkward, I wish guys would like me if only I could walk in heels person right, right. go, oh wow, now I'm sexy, I can walk in heels, I'm a badass. Like I I would love to see a movie with two awesome, badass, super smart women yeah. who are 
really who really form a bond and a friendship because they're both super smart badass women yeah. and their life gets complicated and they end up turning against each other i think this is actually the biggest problem the movie has mm. because maxwell lord is sort of a he's so big in what he's doing he's the the world is ending we need to stop him yeah. this movie should have been the female version of cap and bucky this should have been two oh, women I, who were what? such good friends that circumstances pulled them apart. And when yep. we watch this mediocre CG fight at the end, it's okay to us because we're actually invested emotionally. Yeah. But for a thousand reasons, the way they handled Barbara Minerva, starting with this sort of awkward mousy thing that they were doing, um, and given the fact that we didn't really get a sense that her and Diana were really becoming friends, they sort of had just met, yeah. um, it just really didn't work for me. And I really, really, really wish they had done a different thing mm -hmm. uh, with Barbara Minerva. Yeah, I can't, I can't agree with you more, Mikey. I think that's absolutely right. Nail it on the head there. The Catwoman uh, comparisons I'd seen online, I know you texted me something, and I was just like, oh, are they trying to say it's the same thing? And I didn't think about it to put it together that, like, this is the exact same thing, but better done in Batman Returns. I felt that, too. And, yeah, how quickly she asks her to dinner, how quickly they're out. And it also makes Diana look like a little bit of an opportunist because she's trying to be friends with her to get access to the Wish Stone instead of just straight up going, let me take a look at this thing. I'm going to take this off your hands. I got, I know what this is, blah, blah, blah. So, right, if we'd had two intelligent women coming at each other, and yeah, you could still play the mousy thing. You could still play the kind of feeling a little bit intimidated about how beautiful Diana is. All of that, it would still work, but as a level, as opposed to the overall level. And I think well, that did a little bit, I don't know if I can say this correctly, and maybe I'll get killed for it, but I think a little bit of a disservice to the female energy you wanted to bring into this thing. Remember, a lot of people complained about the end of the first Wonder Woman, saying, oh, she only found her power after she discovered her love for Steve. She had to do it through a man. And then now you have someone like Barbara Minerva, who's like, oh, you get all the men. You walk in heels. All the standard... It feminine tropes and i thought i was surprised by that or cliche it, it is not it is not i think to mm. support you and so that if you get yelled at i can get yelled at too i don't think it is inaccurate to say that your main villain in your movie your main female villain defining her self-worth by are guys talking to me and can i walk yeah. in heels yeah. uh puts you on the right path that you want to be on but yeah, I, I was surprised by that. Yeah, I was surprised by that. And then I wanted to see, you know, I wanted to see what we got in the first Wonder Woman. Build off a Bill Minerva in that way. Let her explore that, you know. But okay, but eventually let's get to Maxwell Lord. And Maxwell Lord shows up. Uh, he, he We're introduced to him initially. We find out he's a little bit of a shyster and then he ends up trying to kind of get to uh, Barbara Minerva. And of course, the rich, powerful guy sliding in, kind of cute. So giving her any kind of attention and they end up at this party and she ends up making out with him and he kind of absconds with the wish stone after they've both Barbara and Diana have, have kind of said these wishes while they were holding the wish stone without knowing that the wish stone was going to grant them their wish. We'd get into the analytics of that. Uh, uh, you know, do you, can you wish for something you didn't know you were wishing for as you were holding a stone you didn't know would give you the wishes? I don't know, but eventually they do get their wishes in that Barbara becomes like Diana at a cost, and Diana does get Steve back at a cost. And we'll talk about Chris Pine in just a second. But let's deal with Pedro Pascal and Maxwell Lord. As I said, Mike and uh, Shannon and I grew up in the 80s. We saw those infomercials as kids or as teenagers. You can be successful, too. We saw those things all the time. So it's a great callback to that. And Maxwell Lord obviously has a rich history in DC Comics for any number of reasons. 
but I felt like they dropped the ball here too. I felt like Pedro was a bit misused here. He wasn't reined back. He was the big stereotypical no level villain kind of close to Billy Zane when he doesn't does in Titanic. And that flashback doesn't really redeem him at the end, in my opinion. So to me, it was a little frustrating to see that happen from such a fantastic actor. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because one of the one of his early investors is Simon Stagg, who is right. a, who's a, another villain from the DC from the DC Comics lore. And, you know, I think this tends to happen. I'm sure you guys do this as well. But as you're watching a movie and it may not be going the way you want it to go and you start to kind of remake it in your head. Yeah. I also am a big fan of the Barbara Minerva archaeologist. And I'm like, God, why wasn't Simon Stagg the bad guy? And why couldn't you have thrown Rex Mason in there? And then you would have had Barbara Minerva and Rex Mason both going after this thing. And like I was like, oh, that would that could have been such a that could have been such a better movie. Um, it was it was an interesting way to go with Maxwell Lord because he's not really this guy, and no, uh, especially not really. in, the most, in the most recent iteration of the comics. Um, in terms of what Pascal's work, I thought again, I thought he did exactly what he was told to do, yeah. and. It, it, it was interesting because when when you when Stag threw out whatever his real name was, I don't I don't recall it now. Yeah, it was um, another, I know that. Yeah. yeah, and I was wondering, I'm like, huh? I wonder, I wonder how this moment sits with John. Like the yeah. fact that he's kind of hiding, he's having to hide his mm. his ethnic history. It's not out of the realm. It's not. I mean, many immigrants have come to this country and changed their last name, you know, uh, and uh, for for their own reasons. Uh, many. I'm sure, I, I, Michael, you can speak to this. I know I've seen it before, where, where even Jewish people have come over and changed their last names in order to yeah. assimilate into this country in generations past. So it's it would, it's not a surprise. I changed my first name. I know a couple of Latinos who changed their last names to kind of fit in more. So that's not a surprise to me. But again, a real great, rich opportunity to explore something but they didn't explore it and they didn't really go into the reasons why they didn't really kind of delve into that. And you know, you can't deny these are white people, white writers, white director, you know, it's just, it's a little frustrating that if you're going to present this kind of stuff, explore it legitimately sport get latino people in the room part of the writer's room part of the production staff to school you on this situation if you're going to touch on it take responsibility for this community if you're going to try to play to it like that little black girl in the mall that was just their token nod to black people wink and then we're out and there's no more uh, you know the, and then there's the black woman who's in charge of them but we don't get any life from her at all any richness any character nothing so just like if you're going to play to these communities you better play to them at levels and stop doing that surface bullshit we don't want to be catered to in that way anymore anyway that was my thoughts on that uh mikey sorry yeah look in addition to all of that i mean kind of back to the to the core point of maxwell lord like he just isn't a very interesting character mm -hmm. uh and it's all kind of a little bit muddled like he's okay so he's a shyster ponzi scheme says he's got a bunch of money says he's got oil has investors knows that's not working so somehow even though he's kind of just a shyster has stumbled upon this information on this ancient godlike stone that can give him all the powers of wishing and that's his big yeah. plan and how those two things go together i'm still a little bit confused by yeah. and then on top of all that uh and this is another one of the bigger issues with the movie like goal not defined mm -hmm. i want like like if his goal is i want to wish for a bunch of oil on the bland where i bought it and there's no yeah. oil Cool, he could have achieved that right away, but instead he was like, no, I need more power, I need more power. And again, get what they're going for with the whole, the 80s is about more, 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 mine, mine, yeah. mine. Yeah. But when your big overall villain plot is, I want more, even though I'm bleeding from every orifice in my body, I feel like <laughs> this is still okay. 
uh, you know, it's just like, what are we doing here? Like every yeah. time we went back to him, he looked like worse off and worse off. And he kept trying to get more and more power. And you're like, at what point did you go down the crazy train? Yeah. And, you know, so like, I think that it was a lot of characters making a lot of really dumb choices. That, that, that's really what this movie broke down to to me. Well, and I think, you know, and this is the thing, and, and like Shannon re- referenced a few minutes ago, there's a lot of people who liked it, and we are not going to begrudge you liking it. If it worked for you because you liked the vibrancy, the cheesiness, the, the and I don't mean cheesy in a bad way, it was purposefully cheesy. If you like the message, if you like all of that, that is absolutely your, uh, uh, your, 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 your right to do so, and that's why art is subjective, film is subjective. We're breaking down what worked and what didn't work for us, and I hope you guys are, are, are hanging in with us as we talk about it because we're not trying to destroy it. We're trying to an- an- analyze it as we go along in this review. Uh, all right, so eventually it goes, you know, it, be- it becomes what it becomes. Uh, she discovers that Steve is back. So let's talk about Chris Pine. I-, I thought he was the standout of the movie overall, right? I think Minerva gets better later on, but I think throughout the whole movie, Chris Pine is absolutely fantastic it's so great to see him back the way he comes back is a little shady but overall the switch where it's diana now walking him into a modern world and schooling him i thought was a really cute twist on what we had seen in the first movie and pine does such a great job all the way to the last moment when he once again has to sacrifice himself for diana so that diana can move on and save the overall world and not be caught up in their smaller story uh, Michael, I ask you about this. Did they solve the problems from the first one or did they just kind of retrace their steps from the first one? I don't know that they solved any problems from the first one, but I will say this was the best part of the movie. Like watching yeah. the two of them together is the best part of the movie. It's the best part of the first movie. It's the I'm best sorry. part of this movie. When Gal and Chris Pine are on screen together, like it's great. Their chemistry is so palpable. It's it works so really, really well. And even when it stops making sense, logic, like I, I think that from a story standpoint, the fact that he's inhabiting a complete stranger's body. Yeah. Very, very weird and problematic. And the, fa- the fact that no one seems to think this is an issue. <laughs> little, little weird. Little weird to me. But okay. Uh, don't know why. And I, and again, like, just to be clear, because a lot of times when we make these comments, like, always keep in mind that, like, they, they made this choice. Yes. Like, had they said in the script, Steve Trevor appears, he's back. You wished for him. Here he is it would have been a lot simpler and fine. Like there's no issue, there's no reason that he has to be hidden plot wise. Right. There's no reason that nobody else can see Steve Trevor. <clears throat> so the fact that they made this choice is just an interesting one to me because I don't know what it gets you. I don't know what the payoff was to this. Um, but I do agree with you, like seeing the reverse fish out of water was delightful. The two of them together was by by a mile my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Um, I do think, and we can get to it a little bit later, I think the issue more than him sacrificing himself at the end is that it was the man being emotionally strong and telling the woman what to do. Like, I think that I think that the issue, the issue at the end with that end beat is that you have Diana who's supposed to be, who is this amazing, like she's Wonder Woman. Like Wonder Woman is always going to do the right thing and find the truth no matter what. And she's the one that's like, I'm not going to let you go. And then it like puts him in the role of being like, you've got to do this girl. You got you to make this choice. And like that rubbed me wrong too. Like I, I, I wanted her to get to the point where she was like, I, 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 I know this is wrong, but I need to let you go. But that is, yeah. that's neither here nor there. We'll get to there later. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> let's be real. I mean, I, I did like the idea that they made her vulnerable. They made her, I mean, like, you know, Diana's pretty strong. So to find the crack in the armor, essentially, which is her love of Steve, I think it's very sweet 
layer to have in the character to have it be the predominant feeling for 70 years i, uh, I felt was a bit uh, i felt was a bit off base like you michael i was just like she's still i mean she hasn't experienced death in themiscara i mean like we've we've seen i mean sure it's happened there were wars all that kind of stuff so it's like she still can't get past this thing so it just was a little strange to have it be there i think i think what struck me uh and the closest example in another superhero movie that i can think of uh, that is, again, I use the Cap and Bucky example, it's Cap and Peggy. And I think that if you watch right. Cap's, if you watch Cap's arc over all the movies to Endgame, his overriding thing is that he misses Peggy. The very last shot of Endgame yeah. is the two of them dancing together. Like it is clearly she is the love of his life. So I agree with you. The fact that she's never gotten over Steve Trevor and the fact that she really, really misses him and that he was her first connection to our world is great. Yeah. I think that this movie suffers from a lack of nuance. Yeah, that's a good And so, yeah. like, Diana has, has faced a lot of loss. It's not just Steve Trevor. She's not allowed to see any of her Amazonian sisters or her mother again. Like, once she left the mascara, unless they're going to go back and uh, add a storyline somewhere in another movie where she goes back, like, she hasn't seen them either. Yeah. So I think that painting her as, I have no connections in my life, I never go out, I live in my apartment, and it's all because I miss Steve Trevor and only Steve Trevor, and he is the only thing in my life that ever gave me worth, feels like it was a little bit heavy-handed. Whereas had you been like, I've lost so much, and this guy was the most important thing to me, this guy was really valuable, I think like it is sweet, and it is good, and I think having a superhero who is vulnerable and like seeks love and wants that, I think is good and important and, and a good choice, it just was a little bit heavy-handed to me. Yeah, what'd you feel, Shannon, about this overall uh, uh, situation with first with Steve and with uh, with Steve coming back, and then of course the progression of the relationship through the movie up until the end? Yeah, I agree with Mike. It was it was overly complicated. I mean, they they never really got into the whole issue of hey, we've essentially stolen this guy's life. There there are some moral there's some moral issues with that. Um, Chris Pine plays befuddled surprisingly well like he, he chris pine is very very funny i mean aside yeah. the, aside from the fact that he's a tall good looking leading man um he's really funny and the the section which i think is a hugely problematic section when they're in the jet yeah he has some of the funniest reactions from him when he's just saying, like wait are they gonna shoot at us yeah. um, the fact that he's able to know how to pilot a jet after not flying anything in like the last 65 years um, <laughs> is, is, is kind of surprising. But I mean, it led to a really kind of pretty sequence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the moment that we're talking about at the end where he sort of makes the call to go, I mean, that was, that's a very well done sequence. Cause mm -hmm. I definitely felt, you know, I kind of, I felt it in my chest that she's kind of, she's getting her powers back and she starts running and like, and, and I thought Gal Gadot as well did, did a really good job with some of those with some of those moments where she's like, yeah. "This is the only thing I want. Why am I not allowed to have this?" Yeah. I mean, I thought it exposed some some really cool parts of her character, but overall, what was surrounding it was just so kind of bogged down in other story issues. Yeah. Um, it ultimately kind of took took the took the bang out of it. Yeah, and I think that speaks to Mikey's point that they had the they, they are the best part of the movie because their chemistry is undeniable, even in scenes that shouldn't Fantastic. work. Or or, or like uh, logically don't work or plot line wines don't work. You're still charmed by them being in there doing the things that they're doing, uh, especially, you know, at the plane sequence is great. I mean, this idea that, oh, I've been working on this no. thing randomly out of the blue. When they do that in superhero <laughs> movies, it is such an obvious mistake. <laughs> Look, 
it's not because other movies have i know other movies did it in the past and i get it but we're past those other movies that's the thing that people need to understand in analysis for superhero movies you can't go back and go, well it worked in 1985 because that was 1985 we have progressed as an audience so we want something more nuanced as michael said something more deeper something more complex something more interesting if she had been trying to do that and look this film is full of plants so it seems obvious to them I mean, it seems uh, odd that they wouldn't plant that somehow throughout the movie <laughs> so that it comes to fruition there at a most critical moment with the jet so you're cheering for that moment to happen as opposed to being like wait what and she's had, start- she's had 65 years to kill so he had some yeah. time to work on it. It was sort of the double whammy. It was sort of the double whammy of that moment happened where she's like, oh, I've been trying to turn things invisible for a while now. And you're like, what? Like, that would have been good to know earlier. <clears throat> and even though this was much smaller, followed almost immediately by, what are all those fireworks? And she's like, oh, yeah, it's 4th of July. It's like, yeah. could we have, like, mentioned that there was a giant 4th of July? Like, maybe the museum exhibit could have been a 4th of July. Like, there's just, like, there was so many things in this movie where it's like, you told us some piece of information at the last possible second yeah. just to set up something you wanted to do. And it's like, you spent a lot of time setting up some other stuff that was kind of silly, but, like, maybe this was stuff you could have spent some time on. And yeah. again, yeah. writing these scripts for these movies on this scale where everything is changing constantly is super right. hard, and it is a bear. And, like, I, it's easy to look at these things in retrospect and pick them apart, and that's what we all do because we're right. all fans and that's what we want to do. But right. So, again, I respect that, like, they were trying to do some stuff, and they did build some lovely moments, to Shannon's point, mm-hmm. that the whole scene of them flying through the fireworks, as much as it sort of was, like, followed up on a bunch of things that I don't quite know how we got here or some some suspect choices it was beautiful so yeah, it was but I, but i'm always suspect of moments where like the whole world's falling apart but let's take a moment to glide in the plane and appreciate that it's like you know, it's, just, it's, it's like that it's like those scenes where the guy people have sex right before their world's about to end i'm like nobody's having sex before the world's gonna end okay we're all too freaking out you know no one's having a rave when the those things are coming and, and Matrix Reloaded, no one's having a rave. It's not happening. People, it says you. Yeah, it well, says you. Fair I, enough. I, I do People are running out to the Costco in a pandemic. I bet you're right. Maybe you're right. I do want to see the <laughs> moment in a big comic book superhero action film where the two leads are finally taking their moment in the middle of the battle to kiss and they get taken out by some guy yeah. Yeah. who they didn't see coming. I would love that. they weren't paying attention. That'll probably be in season three of The Boys. I put money on it. Uh, but like... <laughs> But, but yeah, but I mean, if there, a lot of sweet moments. About, but okay, so let's go to the overall thing. Barbara starts to go into power. Maxwell Lord is like, as you said, Mike, he's bleeding from every orifice. He's trying to touch people and get their wishes. And he's it's supposed to like, it's, he's taking from them. When you take a wish and I'm going to take something from you all the way to the point where he ends up at the White House. And this is where it felt like Superman 2 a little bit and i had been feeling it felt like it's superman 2 throughout the movie as as a not quite good enough sequel to the original and some of the things they were trying to do that was like uh, okay you're gonna take away his powers for love uh, all right you know things like that now we get to this idea where he actually goes to the president who is not a ronald reagan impersonator in any way shape or form. I, was waiting for the I don't know what timeline we're in now and just having this thing and he's like willingly giving up and then of course the, the his entire cabinet is just sitting there letting this all happen like it's no big well, deal and i'm like what is what so i mean this is all coming off the heels uh is this prior to egypt or after oh yeah let's egypt? talk about egypt let's get let's get into that first sorry let's talk about that whole sequence first of all the way they handle this Middle East thing, Mike, I, I tell you, I've seen some people really offended by what they I, did and the simplicity in their approach to this very complex situation that was happening in the 80s. Sorry, Mike. I started, I, I started sweating as yeah. I watched it. 
Like, you know, like you feel like, 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 you know, like when you're, you know what it was like, is like when you're like, go to see your friend in a show and your friend is on stage and something goes wrong and you start feeling really like you can't jump up and help your friend, but you want to, you're like, right. Oh, I got you. I got you. And you're like, no, they've got to, they, they, they have, they have made this bed. Like you, we you got to, you eat. want to snatch that Putnam wig off his head. I get it. I get it. Maxwell, yeah. Maxwell Lord. Yes. <laughs> Maxwell Lord, uh, gets to Egypt and every, every bit of conversation about oil and heathens and the land. And I mean, everything that was said, I was like, I was like, Oh, Oh, this is, this is, this is, this is all levels. Like I, like I, I saw some tweet that was like, when they said they were going to set it in the eighties, I thought we were just going to get neon. I didn't know we were going to get all of these uh, middle Eastern stereotypes as well. And I was like, yeah, it was, it was, it was not. And again, to my point about um, about the, the Chris about Steve Trevor coming back and living in some guy's life, like there wasn't really a reason to go to Egypt. No, like you didn't like what they were doing was they had this movie where they were like, well, we need to make things really bad, so they decided to go to Egypt to make things really bad, which in and of itself is slightly problematic. But uh, they went there and then they just came right back again. So yeah. you did this whole trip to Egypt where you did things that somebody on set somewhere should have been like, oh, is this really the right choice, guys? <laughs> and and again, it didn't really like, could you have gotten the same level of we, these wishes have gotten out of control and things are escalating quickly? Like you, I, I, you could have done that without it. So it was another one of those like, I guess we're doing this. Yeah. Okay. Look, and, and, and Shannon, I'll get your thoughts real quick. The Middle East has been, a, you know, has been a place of a lot of uh, uh, politics, a lot of uh, international tragedy, a lot of all, certainly, and still today. But in the 80s, it was such a predominant part of foreign policy. It was such a huge thing from Carter, who, of course, finished his term in 1980. Up until the end of nineteen, the eighties and the nineteen ninety, it still was a thing. There was a hotbed. So the idea, the fact they didn't address the Israeli stuff, the Gaza Strip, they didn't address any of this stuff, and the effect of what might happen. All of this is just to me, I felt was a real simplistic approach to a very complex, nuanced, politically explosive situation uh, on so many levels. I just was shocked by all of that. And don't get me started on the way they handled Cold War. Oh, 100 missiles here. Shoot them. Shoot them. I, 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 I just like, I, I don't understand. And so this felt to me like an overall, and I'm sorry, Mike, it felt to me like an episode of the 80s TV show as opposed to a sequel to a very uh, uh, nuanced, fantastic film in 2017 and though these issues the way they dealt with them uh, are the reasons why it felt that way on uh, over and over and over again yeah um, I, I cut you off sorry shannon go ahead sorry well i mean one when when steve was just kind of like oh my gosh you could you can go you can go from the u.s to egypt in one shot and it's like well maybe but then you're flying cats <laughs> yeah 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 but well, also, when I heard they were going to Egypt, I was just like, "Oh, great! Maybe th this is where we're going to get some some raiders some raiders action. We're going to find out oh, more yeah. about the Wishstone or the Dreamstone." And then you go and have this sequence, which is like, "Why did you you didn't need this? Like, mm -hmm. was the whole thing just for him to get his security force and for the land to become dislodged?" It's like there was just right. so much stuff happening that was like, "Why this movie is so long already? You you don't you don't need all this." Also, do you think? I mean, for being under the, trying to be undercover, Diana basically used her Smithsonian ID to get in there to get the plane, right? Yep. Like, they're, yep. they're pretty. <laughs> Which, I mean, I've, which, I've never been to the Smithsonian. I don't know. Is there a runway out there? Uh, <laughs> Planes can just no, take off. 
You think they keep those planes fueled up? <laughs> that was something Chris Pine went, all right, fuel. And I'm like, you're kidding. <laughs> I was like, well, really? Yeah. I've been to museums. <laughs> that being said, look, Patty Jenkins directed a fantastic action sequence. Was it merited? You could argue the merits of whether it was whether it worked within organically within this, uh, the film. But it was a great action sequence. I mean, Diana fl- essentially... And, and uh, they, they walked that line between homage and stealing from Spielberg, having her go under the truck, just like uh, just like Harrison Ford does in Raiders. I was a little like, mm. and then of it course, was, but yeah. it led to an awesome sequence of her jumping out of that, yeah. almost like an angel from this thing. It, so I thought that was it's a great yeah. sequence. It's yeah, a it great is, sequence. Right? Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. good. Uh, the kids not getting out of the, the road when dead. there's a bunch of tanks coming. Like, yeah. Yeah. like are these? <laughs> Come also, on, kids. the kids are dead. All, like when she he lands on the asphalt, the kids are dead. I don't care how much of Amazonian princess you are. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think I think that again, looking to the things that were good about the movie, uh, yeah. it's a great Wonder Woman sequence. Yes, like, it, it is, is a great yeah. Wonder Woman action sequence. It's awesome. It's great. Her and Chris Pine working together as a team again. Their chemistry is great. Whether it's just a romantic scene or an action scene, like it was a great sequence. Could it have happened on our on some roads in America somehow? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> also, Chris Pine, I, you know, these are seasoned warriors by this point, the people in the Middle East who are defending these. I mean, Chris Pine, one white dude just running out. Plus that that idea of one white American going in and just beating up all these. It's just, it's just the look of it. I just was so surprised at how many people just didn't think that this was going to at some read in some subconscious way as some, some form of imperialism, which I've seen in other, I'm not trying to go too far into it. So before people throw their computers at the wall, I'm just saying that there is an element of that and some people got that. So that's all I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. And then uh, just getting back to the president, your favorite, yeah. your favorite non-Ronald oh. Reagan president. I think, I think one of my favorite, I think one of my favorite moments of the movie that like made me laugh very hard was you are right i was like why is why is everyone else in his, in the oval office just letting this go down like he is being very aggressive in his hand holding right now but <laughs> followed up by he turns around and he sees a bunch of giant uh things on uh easels a lot the giant boards on easels and he goes well what are these and they go this is our top secret plans and i was like I'm, I have not spent a lot of time in the Oval Office myself, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say when you have top secret plans in the U.S. government, you probably don't blow them up to poster size and put them on easels in the Oval Office and leave them up when someone comes in for a meeting. But cool, cool. Okay. I yeah. guess we're going to go with this at this point because... There was no fuel in that jet anyway, oh. and they just got back from Egypt. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. President, 315 is here. Should we stop the meeting? No, no, leave him up. He's not going to leave him up. Him. He <laughs> won't turn around. He yeah. won't turn around. He's going to keep his eyes right here. <laughs> As someone who actually had top secret, top secret clearance in the military, military intelligence, that was such an insult. Oh, oh my God. Was- like, hey, Mr. President, should, should I put the cover on top of these? <laughs> nah, Gabe, they're really heavy. Uh, bring me some <laughs> jelly beans. Who cares? Uh, anyway, so okay, so we so we discover in this whole White House sequence that uh, Minerva has, and of course, of course, earlier, you know, uh, they found out with Barbara's help where this a wish stone had come from, how it had been around for multiple centuries, and had affected the population and uh, of of so many people, so many sorry, so many uh, uh, countries or or city states or what have you, or civilizations that were destroyed after this wish stone became 
used at a frequent level and was used, so many people. So, and they would like Atlantis and all these places just disappeared off the face of the earth without a mystery. So without any kind of uh, knowledge or clue as to how it happened. Well, okay. So now we're, but Barbara takes off during that sequence because just like an eighties movie, turn around, you turn back, they're gone. You don't hear them at all. She sneaks out and she comes into her own here and we see her like, this and let's deal with this, right? Her getting like this random dude assaults her in the park. That does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't absolutely, but the same guy just happens to be there as she's as she's walking and running and figuring out her power and her kicking the shit out of them. I can understand if many women watching this film feel a certain level of satisfaction from that sequence. I certainly, as a revenge sequence, I thought it was nice. But overall, we're not understanding why she's embracing this. And we're not, like, we want to feel sympathy, like we did with Killmonger. There was sympathy there, no matter how terrible he was. There was still sympathy about what he was fighting for. There is no sympathy for her here. And I felt they dropped the ball, too. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's kind well, no, it's kind of like what I was saying, just similar to the Maxwell Lord of it all, where you have a character where you're like, I guess you want power and you just want all of it. Um, with, With Barbara Minerva, because. Her character is built around, I wish people would talk to me and I could walk in heels, as I said earlier. We don't have a sense, like to Shannon's point, if she was awesome, badass archaeologist who was getting passed over for jobs because she was a woman. Like there's there's a thousand yeah. different iterations of this that you could do where her lashing out at somebody would feel more justified or, uh, uh, let me rephrase, totally justified to lash out at that dude. Like what a piece of shit. But I, I, But I think that... You're right. Like we saw her do this, and like the scene served to say, "Look, she's super badass now and strong." But I could have, and again, I'm not a woman, uh, so maybe there's a different perspective there. But I could have done with a little bit more there as far as what her goals were, what she wanted, as opposed yep. to I just want to. Because like Maxwell Lord is, I want to be powerful, and Minerva is kind of, I want to be powerful. It's all yep. I want power, power, power. But there's not a specificity to it. Well, let's uh, we gotta like we should wrap up in ten minutes. So let's get to the end here. We, we eventually, you know, they have the back and forth in the White House. We realize Cheetah's going to defend her. Then we get to this compound uh, where he is going to. He finds out that he can broadcast all over the world. So he starts okay. to do this kind of thing, which is very similar to Jim Carrey and the Riddler with that kind of hat he put on. This whole thing of the wish and everything like that. Uh, and then we get to uh, we get to Minerva and we get to this fight between the fully now embraced embracing herself cheetah and uh wonder woman mike uh or shannon let's start with you on this one thoughts on uh thoughts on this whole sequence and the fight and everything that happens here in the bunker i don't think i dozed off but did we see the transformation scene where suddenly she starts to starts to double over in pain like why didn't you show us yeah we just saw her move away as he was saying to her i give you their anger and the prowess and yeah I, I mean, the, the actual CGI fight did not bother me as much as the trailer led me to believe it was going to. I was kind of like, okay, you know, that's fine. Um, in, in the whole, the Golden Eagle armor, you know, that was the whole Asteria thing. I was like, okay, so we know that's coming back. Um, the Golden Eagle armor with the wings, I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is actually kind of a fun sequence. Um, by the time she gets into Maxwell Lord and she's got the lasso on him and he's being broadcast, I was so kind of checked out. At that point, I kind of just wanted wanted the movie to end, but the actual design that they gave Kristen Wiig for Cheetah, I actually thought looked pretty cool. Yeah, fair, fair. Mikey, uh, and I'll, I'm going to get the plug for the computer. Go ahead, Mikey. I was just a little... I was like, when when she was losing her powers, I thought to myself, oh, that's why she has to wear the armor, because that's going to protect her. 
But then she got her powers back, and I was like, well, why'd you put the armor on? Like, <laughs> it wasn't what was the... <laughs> like, you can already fly. You're back to, like, full power levels. Like, what was the purpose of this armor? Like, I was, like, dead sure. I was like, oh, you're, you're weakened. This armor's going to protect you. Then we were basically told that that armor, when Asteria had it, like, prevented all of mankind from defeating her. But apparently one cheetah woman can rip that armor to shit. Like, and, and also it was a bummer to see Cheetah just sort of become a enforcer for Maxwell Lord. Like, I'm going to keep you out. Like, I'm an obstacle for you to get to the main bad guy. Right. <clears throat> Again, I think they missed the boat on that. I think that the Barbara Minerva Diana relationship was probably the stronger hmm. thing if you had actually developed it correctly. Um, also, how did Wonder Woman know where they were? Yeah, uh, good question. Good sequel. Maybe she has a tracker on them. I don't know, but she found them. Um, I thought I thought I didn't mind the fight scene. I know a lot of people don't like that ending of Black Panther. I don't mind it, and I didn't mind this fight scene either because of the conversations they were having as they were fighting. I was confused about the fact that she was like, "I'm sorry, I'm going to electrocute you in the water," but you're not going to die apparently. But I'm sorry, I'm going to electrocute you in the water. I thought that was really weird. You were punching her and throwing her against the rocks and you know swinging into her and all this kind of jazz, but. You're, you're sorry that you're going to electrocute her so she'll just be knocked out for a little bit? I thought that was really weird. And also, how, in God's name, did the lasso get to Maxwell Lord's leg when she had been trying to throw the lasso at him and it kept getting bounced off uh, all those sequences before as she laid again? What was she snaking the lasso onto his leg as she sat against the wall and talked to him? It just seemed so such an odd out-of-the-blue sequence. Like, okay, then the lasso's around your leg and I've tricked you and you want your son. Oh, and remember when you're your Latino dad beat up your Latino mom. Remember how you hit away? Remember how that sequence worked out? You know, I mean, I could just like, fuck, man. If you finally put a Latino in this thing as a lead and you give them the stereotypical background of this idea of the macho, drunk Latino dad beating the Latino mom, just like, I just was so mad about that on so many levels, you know? Anyway. Yeah, that, that, that did not necessarily sit right with me. And then, and this is kind of my point about giving them the benefit of the doubt on Wonder Woman has to remain secret, but then creating a movie where Wonder Woman has to speak to the entire world, yeah. knowing knowing that you have to also create a movie where nobody can know Wonder Woman exists. And again, Great the way they point. handled it, the way they handled it, okay, everyone in the world just sees a golden glow and right. they hear a female's voice. Sure, that is the best possible way you could have handled it for sure. But you also made a choice. Like you could have told a movie where she had to remain in secret for the whole time. Mm. <clears throat> but you made a choice to tell a movie where the big finale is I need to speak to the whole world. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, okay. Right. And and that fine. being said, look, the message is fine. The and message I, is great. The I message is lovely. Again. Yeah, and you you hope humanity will one day do that. You know, I rescind my wish. And what have you, but like uh, the way you got there just was, I don't, I just felt it was a bit messy and clumsy overall. Shannon? Yeah, I mean, I was a little confused once everyone sort of renounced their wishes. It seems like everything went back to normal. Like you, you had the English couple who said, you know, the woman said, I wish you'll do this. And the guy yeah. said, I wish you drop dead. And I'm like, okay, so is she back to life now? I mean, uh, last wishes... I saw, they were still pumping her chest even yeah, after the They were doing CPR on her. Um, yeah. that's, that's sort of like my only kind of justification is like once everyone renounced their wishes, everyone forgot that yeah. Diana had spoken to them. That's... I guess. <laughs> and again, so but, again but again, but again, and it, it gets back to 
just always keeping in mind that they made these choices that got them there. It's not like they were handed right. this and had to make it work. Right. Like they right. could have chosen a different direction. Yeah. I also like that when you renounce your wish, it makes nuclear bombs disappear, but apparently not garbage in the street. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. And, and can we talk about Maxwell Lord's turn? Cause that sure, yeah, go the ahead. whole thing with it with his kid. I'm like, he I randomly finds his child in a bush somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and oh yeah, and just the rules as well for the wish stone or the dream stone about like I, I thought only everyone could only get one wish, and I thought the yeah, kid used Cheetah. the wish. That's when so, yeah, and so did Minerva. <laughs> literally looked at me. She goes, "Wait, I thought you were only supposed to get one wish." And I'm like, "I don't know at this point, to be <laughs> honest with you. I, I, I'm sure they're changing things to make it work with what they're trying to get to." So whatever uh but yeah you're right the turn was kind of that's it just the kid by the way we never met the kid's mom we have no idea what this interaction is the kids randomly i think he's either uh, i don't know what uh but it, i was like this is a multiracial kid clearly where's the uh where's the mom where like, give us something here had we hit our quota so we can't have one more person of color like, it just was so strange to me on so many levels some of the decisions uh that were made here all the way to the end of course and you know Everything back to normal, so to speak. Although I think it would take a bunch of gods to come and try to fix everything that happened here. But somehow everything is back to normal. Diana is moving on finally once and for all. Uh, but but then what do we say at the ending? What do we get at the ending, Mike? Did you did you enjoy that, that overall ending? Do you mean the Hallmark movie ending? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't love it. And I also like was very confused. Like <clears throat> it was kind of creepy that like the Chris the Steve Trevor stand-in guy showed up next to her and she was yeah. like, hey, because I was kind of like, it, it just creeped, the whole thing, that whole interaction mm. that I know was supposed to be like, she's now ready to move on with her life or whatever, but yeah. because this was basically who she'd been making out with for the entire movie, like the whole, and, but he didn't know that, like the whole thing was just kind of creepy to me. Like it just yeah. didn't really, <clears throat> it didn't really sit right. Yeah, and Shannon, this is, the 80s were the domain of body swap movies for God's sake. So I get what they were trying to do. It's just like, well, yeah, but I mean, there have been issues with those body swap movies now in 2020 where you look back, like Revenge of the Nerds and those kind of. No, well, there wasn't many body swap, but you know what I mean. So you get this idea of like, well, was this really, you know, yeah. played with this a little bit more? But yeah, I say, Mike, you go back to that point <sighs> you've made. It makes so much sense. They took over this dude's body without his permission, basically. I mean, and, you know, and he seems to know, he seems to not know what happened. He doesn't even refer to like, well, I, you know, that I went to sleep and there well, were some days that are missing, you know? <clears throat> and also, maybe I'm being like, to, I, one of the things I love about Wonder Woman as a character is that she, more so than more so than Batman, certainly, and in a different way than Superman, like she is like the most relatable. Like Superman is sort of this guy that you're intimidated by. Like Wonder Woman, everyone just loves her. She has this connection with everybody. And rather than just having this moment where it's like, oh, I'm ready to move on. Here's this handsome guy who I slept with earlier in the movie, but he doesn't know, and this is weird. Like, I would have just liked to have seen her like connecting with the world more. Like I don't, I don't need to know that she's ready to date again. I need to know that she's ready to like be a part of the '80s, like to be a part of the world, which she didn't seem to be at the beginning of the movie. So it, it, that, was, that was kind of. But again, yeah. that's more like nuance, right? And for all the super, listen, people, for all the superficiality of the '80s. We were pretty nuanced and complex. We were dealing with the Cold War. We were dealing with Russia with weapons. We were dealing with Middle East. We were dealing with a lot of complex issues in the '80s. So, yeah, for all the for all the neon and the glass, there was real shit going on, you know. So, just to let other people know who maybe didn't live through the '80s. All right, one last thing we should talk about, I guess, before we wrap is the uh, uh, the uh, Linda Carter reveal. Did we like that, or did we feel that was a bit clumsy? Um, you know, if that that uh, post credit sequence thrilled. A group of people 
And I'm happy yes, to I'm, sure I'm glad that those people had that experience. I was me, happy to see Linda Carter. Were you? It was just kind of like, okay. But the way it was done, I was not happy with. Mikey? I, it was fine. I just, again, it gets into these other issues of like, well, so we don't really get an answer on what Wonder Woman has been doing through all of history from World War One to the 80s. Like, mm -hmm. did she do anything in World War II? Did she do anything? Right. This? And now we know that there's another basically Wonder Woman uh, who has apparently been around even longer than Diana has. And yeah. it's like, what have these people been doing? Some shit has gone down in history. Like, where were you? And what were you doing? Only, she's, the only she's the only Amazonian that doesn't have that accent either. Well, yeah. Oh, good. Interesting. Well, she <laughs> she's been she's been away from Themyscira for a very long time. <laughs> longer, longer than 65 years. Hey, look, Madonna got a British accent living in Britain for a year. So, you know, I guess people pick this stuff up and we're lose as they go along. <laughs> Uh, all right. Anyway, we should wrap up there. We're past the hour mark. We tried to keep this under 45 minutes. We failed spectacularly. Uh, a two and a half hour movie. Have an hour review. I don't think that's a bad thing, to be honest with you. Um, any final thoughts as we wrap up here, gentlemen, and we'll, we'll, we'll give our goodbyes. Uh, Mikey, any final thoughts? Uh, kind of what Shannon said at the beginning. Like, look, if you really liked Wonder Woman and you sat through this entire thing, like, kudos to you. Um, but like it, it sometimes you just like a movie because you love the character. You love seeing them on screen. You love that. And that's totally OK. I wish I wish we had gotten a little bit more and I was disappointed and uh it was I kind of like it was just a bummer. It was a bummer. I sure. I'd say that for me Wonder Woman 84 I don't hate it. I don't think it's the worst DC movie. I don't think it was like a disaster. I think everybody was super well intentioned and all the performances to Shannon's point gave exactly what they needed to give for the what they were asked to do. Yeah. I just wished for more. Yep. Michael. I mean uh, Shannon yeah, well, I think, you know, as, as Vogel said, the creators and the cast, they set out to make the best possible movie they could. And judging from the online reaction, 50% of people are going to go in and love this and 50% are not. Uh, the best thing that it did for me was get me more excited for Soul because we watched Wonder Woman first. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, I will say this. I, 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 agree. I echo what my two uh, uh, learned uh, colleagues said. I, I feel it was a bit disappointing but i don't th but i would never encourage you not to watch it give it a shot see if you like it or not maybe it works for you maybe the cheesiness works for you maybe you don't want too much character development maybe you just want to you lose yourself and i don't mean that in a negative way I don't, I don't go see expendables from the nuance you know i mean like there are there are certain movies and certain superhero movies that people enjoy that don't have that much character development they just love getting into it and enjoying it and for a lot of people this character and what Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins created in 2017 was very important and a seminal moment for a lot of people. And I would never begrudge them enjoying themselves watching this two and a half hour sequel to that 2017 film. If you loved it, more power to you. I just thought it was a bit messy and disappointing and wanted more because of how good that 2017 movie was. I wanted something that was similar to that complex, layered, foundational, interesting, and move the characters forward in a way that made sense and this just felt like a glorified episode of, of that tv show from the from the 70s and 80s so unfortunately that's where i feel about this but again if you loved it we are not saying you shouldn't we are not saying you we don't begrudge you loving it it's your life enjoy it if you loved it no problems there uh let us know what you thought in the comments section below as well shannon what do we got to tell them yeah if you'd like to follow us on social media on twitter it's at geek underscore buddies on instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies if you'd like to follow me on social media on twitter it's at shannon underscore mcclung on instagram at shannon the geek buddy if you would like to follow mr vogel it is at mk2 and if you would like to follow mr roca it is at the roca says mike 
Uh, listen, if we had a Dreamstone and we could make wishes, we would wish for more of you to be tuning into Geek Buddies and checking things out. And you can help us do that. <clears throat> First of all, definitely hit the like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw page. Definitely leave us comments below. We will check them out. And uh, if you are listening to us on Anchor or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, definitely leave us some comments or some rankings there. And uh, the best thing that you can do is share this video on Twitter or Facebook or other places. And, you know, tell everybody to check this out. There you go. All right. Well, that's it from us. Thank you all so much. And this has been another spoiler review episode from the Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.